This morning we are beginning Revelation chapter 6. What I would uh, like to do is draw your attention, I think it should be around now, to a little handout that I've given you. And uh, I'd really like you to bring this um, each time that we meet. That's maybe too optimistic a perspective that you'd be able to do that. But um, because I think it's a friend of mine did this, and I think it's one of the best, um, what's the word I'm looking for, way to picture, put on like a graph, uh, paper form, how to think through all the parts of the book of Revelation. And so if you just take a minute with me, and I'm going to, I will be referring to this, I think every day from here on out till we're done with this study. The, uh, obviously, this is the way to look at it. This is the timeline. This is the timeline we're following. You follow me? So this uh, horizontal block here, this is the timeline, and he calls it the chronological order. In other words, that's, that's part of the challenge of studying the book of Revelation. And I'm not, the way this is graphed here is the way I've always taught it. But I, I just found this not too long ago. And it's one of the best things I've ever seen as a tool to really help people take the parts of the book of Revelation apart and put them back together. So we have already covered, of course, the introduction. We've covered the first two chapters, chapter two, chapter three, which is the, the seven churches. And then last week, and actually the week before as well, we did four and five, which is in the throne room of God and the praise and hymns to God through all the different people and elements and four living creatures and 24 elders and all that in the heavens. Chapter six, uh, chapter five is who has the authority to open the seals. And that's what we did last week, but still the praises. And then chapter six is where the seals begin to be opened. Now, Everything I've said in the last three sentences, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hope I haven't lost you because that's what we were covering. So the, the chronological order, <clears throat> I believe, of the book of Revelation is starting with chapter 6. You have the opening of the six seals. Then you have the blowing of the seven trumpets. Then you have the pouring out of the seven bowls. That's chapter 15 and 16. And then chapter 19 is the second coming of Jesus, followed by the great white throne, the new heaven, new earth, and all of that. So what we will see, we won't get there today, but what we will see, as soon as we open the six seals, then there's a parenthesis, and it's about the 144,000. Who are those mysterious people? But that's taking us off the chronological track for just a minute. That answers the question, who will give the testimony of the gospel during this period of time? Answer, the 144,000. Then we'll go another couple of chapters, and then chapters 11, and uh, chapters 10, and chapters 11, are almost like parenthetical. But again, they're like a bunny trail off the main thing. And then you have chapters 12, 13, and 14, which I think are really valuable because they tell us the seven key individuals of the tribulation period. And then the last little break is chapter uh, uh, 17 to right at the beginning, this judgment of the Lord on Babylon. And we have to talk about that when we get there. So I'm going to say this one more time. The chronological order is the opening of the seals, the blowing of the seven trumpets, the pouring out of the seven bowls. That's the key to chronological order. You with me? So that's how we're going to be approaching this. Okay? So don't lose this. Um, I don't know what I'll do to you if you do, but don't lose it. (laughs) And try if you can remember, put it with your material, stick it in your Bible, however so that you do bring it with you each time. I have a few extra copies, but if everybody loses it, I won't have enough. I'll scan it and send it to Okay, them. thank you. That'd be great. That'd be great. Then there'll be absolutely no reason why anyone won't have one. So are there any questions about this? Does this help you give like a graphic picture of how to think about the book of Revelation? It's the best look I've ever seen, actually. It is. It is, it is extremely helpful. And when, when he did that, and then I, I, I got a copy of it, it just, to me, is a really helpful way to, to take all the different parts of the book of Revelation, put them together in a way that makes sense. The other thing I wanted to do, now to some extent, a little bit of this is review, but um, I want to either introduce you or reintroduce you to a concept of the Bible. That concept is the day of the Lord. I maybe should have just put this in Quotation marks, because it's a concept, the day of the Lord. It's a phrase 
<coughs> excuse me, it's a phrase used throughout the scriptures, but it is also a concept. And I think as we begin chapter 6, which is what we're going to begin in a minute, it's helpful for us to understand that what's, what's going on in chapter 6 through 18 is really adding a little bit of detail to what has already been talked about in the Word of God. Let me start, if I might, uh, with just a couple of very, very basic points. In the Old Testament prophets, and I just listed three, and we could list because there are four major prophets and 12 minor prophets, but many of them talk about the day of the Lord. And they speak of it as a day of judgment. But also, I should have written that, I just see I didn't do that, but also a day of blessing. That's why I have judgment slash blessing. A day of judgment and blessing coming in the future. The book of Amos talks about that. Zephaniah, which is a real unknown prophet. Not many people study that, but I'm just using that as an example. Isaiah and many, many others, they talk about that. There's a day of judgment coming, but that day is also going to be a day of blessing. And you, you, you just see that throughout the Old Testament. And then the Lord Jesus, and I want to go back and read that by way of an introduction, just a couple of those verses. In Matthew chapter 24, when Jesus is asked his question by his disciples, what is the sign of your coming? What's the sign of the end of the age? They, then Jesus answers that question, and he's using the language of the day of the Lord. He's using the language that comes out of the Old Testament. And then you might remember, we studied this, it would be maybe even like a year ago, but when we were studying the Thessalonian letters, if you remember in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, the Thessalonians had a, a teacher in their church that was saying, the day of the Lord begun. And so, I mean, the day of the Lord begun, that's, that's end time stuff. And Paul immediately writes the letter, no, it hasn't. Because there are three things that have to happen before the day of the Lord begins. So Paul is dealing with that. And it's a day of judgment and a day of blessing. All of that is the background to the language of these chapters. What, what is happening in the book of Revelation, I hope you'll understand how I'm saying this and what I mean by this. What is happening in the book of Revelation isn't new truth. It's truth that has been talked about in the Old Testament prophets and on. Now it's just systematized in a concise way telling us exactly, in sequence, how it's going to happen. You follow me? So, I mean, that's why, and I, I know I've said this to you before, when somebody wants to study the book of Revelation, and praise the Lord, they want to study it. If they really want to study it, they have to do all the background work. Or you're not, you're not doing justice to what the Bible is teaching us. Revelation doesn't stand alone. Revelation is the culmination of everything God has been teaching throughout his written word, through his prophets, through his son, and through his apostles. Now it's coming together in a very systematized way and in an orderly fashion, which again is what I like about Leonard's little uh, diagram here. So let me stop and see if you have any questions. Do, do you understand what, to a degree, do you understand what I'm doing there? Should Daniel be in there too, then? Daniel could be in there too, yes. That's why I have all the ellipsis oh, okay. points. It could be a whole, it's it's almost all of them talk about this. Right. So it's the same language used everywhere, day of the Lord? Not necessarily. Sometimes it's just the day. It just says the day. Uh, sometimes it just describes a coming a coming time or aeon of judgment, and then it, and they, they talk about the same words of the judgment, the same kinds of descriptive phrases, cosmic disturbances, earthquakes, you know, all that kind of, it's just that constant description of things that will happen in the day of the Lord. Sometimes using the day, sometimes using day of the Lord, sometimes just describing it. But it's the same language over and over and over again. All right? Okay, now, with those two things, I'd like to go back for just a minute to the book of, of Matthew. If you'll just turn back there with me to Matthew chapter 24. And before we start chapter 6 of Revelation, I want to read the first, oh, maybe 14 verses or so of, of Matthew 24, all right? 
because I believe, uh, I believe very strongly that what Jesus is saying here in answering to the questions of his disciples is the same thing John's talking about. Let's just look for a minute at um, verse 3. Uh, they are sitting on the Mount of Olives. As you know, the Mount of Olives is east of the temple. It's that valley and then east to mount up here. They're sitting on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples say to him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? Sign of the end of the age. They're asking eschatological questions. They're asking end times questions. They're asking, Lord, tell us about the future. And so the Lord Jesus begins to, to, to answer. Now, it's really interesting how many times he uses the word mislead. If you look in verse 4, you see it. In verse 5, you see it. In verse 11, you see it. So immediately, as we read through this, we're alerted. This is going to be a time of significant deception. Well, keep that in mind, because as we read about the Antichrist and the beast in Revelation, he's one who deceives. Well, anyway, Jesus said, see to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. And you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened, for these things must take place. But this is not yet the end. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. In various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But these things are merely the beginning of the birth pang. So as Jesus is answering their questions, he's saying the things that you have commonly, normally seen throughout human history, you will see at the end. It will be an intensity about them, but that's just the beginning. And he uses the metaphor of birth. It's just the beginning of the birth pang. It's just the start of the end. Verse 9, then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. And at that time, many will fall away and deliver up one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise and will mislead many. There's that word again. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will go cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. In other words, will be delivered out of the tribulation. And the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached at the whole, in the whole world for a witness to all nations. Then the end shall come. So, that's another curious question, that Lord's statement three. Who is going to be preaching the gospel? Well, Revelation 7 answers that question for us. But we'll get to that later on. So again, what you see is, is verse follows verse, follows verse, follows verse. There's a growing intensity to each one of these things. And I want you to note one more thing. Jesus calls it in verse 9, time of tribulation. That's where we get that word. That's why we call it the tribulation period. And then maybe just let your eye go over to um, um, you know, 24. I don't, I'm not, I don't want to read all of this. 24, false Christ, false prophets will arise, will show you great signs and wonders. So as to mislead, there's that word again, even the elect, if possible. Then look at verse 29. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, there's again that word that, we use to describe this period, the tribulation. Sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Cosmic disturbances. Disturbances in the heavens that we'll see. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. All the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of glory, with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet. They will gather together his elect from the four winds from one to the end, of the sky to the end. Now, I wanted to just read those and, and just as a way of introduction because the Lord Jesus is talking as he's answering the questions of his disciples, the same thing that we're going to start studying today. You follow me? They ask him the sign of the end of the age, the sign of your coming. He answered that question. It's very broad language, but it's the language of the day of the Lord. It's the language that comes out of the Old Testament. Famine, drought, pestilence, wars, rumors of wars, um, cosmic disturbances. They're all the descriptive phrases used throughout the scriptures. 
But Jesus says, he, he keeps telling us as he dumps verse upon verse upon verse. There's an intensity about this. And then he adds, we saw it four times, there's going to be false teaching. And there are going to be false prophets. There's going to be false Christ. That's going to be so deceptive that it could even mislead the elect. Now, whom does the Bible describe as the leader of that deception? Well, in 1 John 2, 18, he's called the Antichrist. In 2 Thessalonians 2, he's called the man of lawlessness. In Revelation, he's called the beast. So he's going to lead this mass deception of humanity. So what the book of Revelation does now is it adds to this narrative that the Lord Jesus puts together a lot more detail and a chronological sequence, which is how we're going to study this. Got it? Yeah. Please. So when Christ was telling his disciples this, he used the word you, indicating, I mean, if I were them, I would think, well, I'm going to be seeing this mm-hmm. in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting that he did that, I think, rather than saying <clears throat> the saints will see. or the... That is, it is interesting. Um, through... Oh, the verse 4, for example. For you, no one misleads you. You will be hearing of wars and rumor of wars. You know, it's just consistent in here. It's you, you, you. It is, um, it is something that you see throughout prophetic scripture that is zeroing in on the readers who are reading this are called upon to apply this to their life. Okay, so for you and me, for example, we read something like that and we say, well. I I mean, I'm 68 years old, so I've seen wars. I've seen rumors of wars. I've seen a lot of earthquakes. I've not seen them, but I've read about them. I've seen a a lot of these things. And what is Jesus saying to me? That you see those things, and you see them going to, it's just the beginning. That's all, the application of that is to be made by the plural you, whoever is reading this. It's a little bit like what we, when we were studying the seven churches, at the end of each one of the church uh, material for each one of the churches, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit's saying. That means this doesn't just apply to the people who read it in AD 95. This refers to everybody who's reading this. And so I don't see any reason why we shouldn't look at it exactly the same way as we read prophetic scripture. Actually, it makes it more personal. It does. It does. And that's how, I mean, that's really what, that's really what we are to do with all of God's word. And, a, a, and I'm sure this applies to all of your pastors. But a good pastor, his job is to explain the text, give you the doctrinal implications of the text, and answer the question, so what? What does this mean to my life? If the pastor just leaves you, I've explained it, go home, I'll see you next week. He's not quite doing what the word of God is supposed to do. It's supposed to result in transformation. It's supposed to be applied to our lives. All right, that's a good question. Fred. Good questions. Uh, uh, what role will the Holy Spirit play in that ability to discern uh, for believers? And also in verse 29, use the word immediately uh, after the tribulation, this uh, sequence of events will occur. Um, how do you interpret that word? Well, what's your sense? Of well, what is happening there is Jesus is beginning to answer the other question, what's the sign of your coming, Lord? And that immediately, after the end of this, what Jesus calls this tribulation period, is when I'm coming back. And immediately would refer to like... Like as soon as, soon as the events of the tribulation are bang, he's coming. And that's why... When you follow this, 6 through 18 is what Jesus is talking about, and chapter 19 is his second coming. So as soon as the material of the revelation, uh, sorry, as soon as the material dealing with the tribulation is over, Jesus comes back. And as you'll see, Jesus doesn't mention it here, um, in here I mean in 24, but the campaign of Armageddon, which is kind of the key element that everything is heading toward that. 
And when that occurs, then the Lord's going to come back immediately. And so, I mean, Jesus is giving, he's answering that, that other question, though. But he's tying the two together. What he calls the tribulation, immediately when that's over, that's when I'm coming back. And as he said in that material we quickly read through, nobody's going to miss it. As lightning goes from one end of the sky, nobody's going to miss my coming. So, I mean, that's, a, and that's, that's important, and we know that in Revelation 19 tells us that. I mean, it, it will be a cosmic event, and everyone will see it, and everyone will know it, because that's his triumph. As opposed to the period between Daniel's 69th and 70th. Right, week, which right, is which is at a very vast, that's right, that's right. That's right. Is there any significance in verse 24, um, which is for false Christ's plural, but it's capitalized? Is there any significance to the Well, that would be an editor's choice to do it that way when they did the translation. But I think, you know, I think, Daryl, it's proper to capitalize that because that is exactly what Antichrist is going to do. He is going to claim to be the substitute Christ with a lot of minions running around, including the false prophet, to help him uh, to help him uh, substantiate that. So, I mean, as we'll, we'll read this later on in our study of Revelation, it is unmistakable what's going on here. As, as Jesus said, they will perform signs and wonders when we read Revelation 13 and 14. That is exactly the phrase, and he did signs and wonders. So Antichrist, the beast, is going to mimic Jesus in every way. And what did Jesus say? It's going to be so convincing that the elect could be deceived. So, I mean, this is, this, there's, there, what is going to, what we're going to start reading, there's never been anything like this. There's always been a time of wars, rumors of wars, and pestilence, always, but never at this intensity. And that's what we start to read. And the deception at the end with Antichrist and the false prophet and all, I think we'll learn this in chapter 13. I think the Antichrist is the incarnation of Satan. I think that's exactly what it's teaching us. So that deception, this Satan, if you want to put it this way, Satan is throwing everything he can at this. And everything we read about it throughout the scriptures is it's, it is going to be so close to what Jesus did. I mean, he is going to, it's going to be very compelling. He is the Christ. And yet he isn't. And of course, that's what, well. Jesus' second coming is going to be, you're not going to miss him. That's right. And so the false prophet. The very first. Come back in quietly, I would imagine. I don't, I mean, I doubt during, it. During that seven-year period, what Jesus called, absolutely. Yeah. But the very first thing Jesus does when he returns is he seizes the false prophet, seizes the Antichrist, and throws him into the lake of fire. That's the very first thing he does. But we will miss it because uh, those of us who, who are pre-trib. Yes, that's right. If you believe in a pre-trib rapture, do we, we, we will come back with Jesus, though. Right. But we will not be, we'll be on the victorious side. We're, we're not going to see any of this stuff that we're going to be studying, I think. continue to study the Bible and understand that. Won't they know that the false prophet came in quietly? And when Jesus comes, it's going to be with a bang. Okay. Um, yeah. you're, you're, assuming, you're assuming that there are going to be a lot of people reading the Bible. That may or may not be true. <laughs> Uh, one of the things that Antichrist is going to do, and we'll be reading about a little bit of that, I mean, his level of persecution is going to be so intense. And um, it would it would seem reasonable to conclude that he's going to do everything he tra- can to try to control what gets in people's minds, including availabilities of the scriptures and so on. He'll shut down all the internet sites that have the Bible on it. I'm, I'm making that up. But I'm just, and I'm not saying people won't be able to read the Bible, but I mean, you're right. That, you know, the clarity of what God has been teaching is available to so many people. And what does the scriptures keep telling us? They suppress that truth. Jesus tells the, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. This isn't the Lazarus, this is the other story. And uh, the, the rich man is, 
you know, in, in, in hell. And Lazarus, it says, is in the bosom of Abraham. Do you remember what the rich man says? Go back and tell my brothers. Go back and tell my brothers that they have got to listen to the truth. And the response is, they have the book of Moses. They have my written revelation. That's sufficient. So what's he saying? They have the revelation there to respond. They, they have adequate, I've given them everything they possibly could to respond. I'm not going to send them anymore. That's not harsh. That's just the same thing for us today. Do people have enough revelation today, 2015, to respond to God? The answer to that is yes. In creation, in conscience, in God's moral law, in how Jesus is revealed, and in his written word. It's there. And what are people doing with that? They're suppressing it. They're ignoring it. They reject it. So I think in the end times, uh, no matter how clear it is, and no matter how articulate the 144,000 and the others who come to faith are, you still because we read this, keep, instead of repenting, they gripe, they yell, they complain, they hide, but they don't repent. That's amazing. We'll start seeing that. Everything God's doing doesn't say they repent. God keeps giving them time after time after time after time. He keeps giving people an opportunity to repent, but they don't repent. So, didn't mean to digress there, Ed. That was a great question. Are you ready? It's, what is it? It's 20 after 12. Are we ready to start Revelation 6? Okay. Um, let's, you know, in your notes, if you're following, I'm trying to decide how detailed we want to get here because I don't know how far we're going to get. But if you're following, it's on page 17. Now, these, these seals are broken, and they're broken quickly. It, it, the intent seems to be that this is bang, 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 bang. It's fairly quick. And I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, remember that takes you back to the previous chapter, the Lamb of God, Jesus. And I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as his voice of thunder come, and I looked. And behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and his crown crown was given to him, and went out conquering, and to conquer. Okay, this is the first of what is sometimes called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Have you ever heard of that? The four horsemen. This is the white horse, followed by the red horse, followed by the, the uh, black horse, and so on. Okay, the white horse. At first, at first you think, could this be Jesus? But as I put in your notes, he's mimicking Jesus. Because he does not bring peace. What does he bring? He brings war. So almost everyone understands the first horse to be the Antichrist. To be that false Christ. And so instead of bringing peace, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. Jesus is to bring the, uh, the peaceful calm of his salvation and his redemption and so on. That's not what Antichrist brings. And so the consequence is the second horseman, verse 3. And when he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come, and another, a red horse, went out. And to him who sat on it was granted to take peace from the earth, that men should slay one another. A great sword was given to him. And when the third seal, I heard the living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard, as it were, a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius. Do not harm the oil and the wine. What always accompanies war? Famine. Famine and death. So you see... There's this growing intensity. And the exaggerated language of verse 6 is just illustrating to us food, common food, normal food is going to be extremely expensive. A denarius is a day's wage. And he said he took it out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Uh, whoops, I'm reading the wrong uh, uh, verse. Verse 7 then, the fourth and final of the horsemen. And when he heard the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come, and I looked, and behold, an ashen horse, 
or, or, or that could be translated kind of pale green with ashen wood. <clears throat> and he who sat on it had the name Death. And Hades was following with him. And authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with famine, with pestilence, and with the wild beasts of the earth. The fourth horseman is the horseman of death. And again, if you look at those four words at the end of verse 8, the sword, famine, pestilence, that's disease, and wild beasts, because as the devastating consequences of war ensue, even the animals have to feed on something. You see, I mean, this is just trying to picture in graphic and almost horrifying languages, language how ter- terrible this is going to be. So you have at the beginning, these are the four seals that are broken, paralleling to some extent the things Jesus was talking about. Wars, rumors of wars, famine, droughts, pestilence. And it's just the beginning. Woody. Are we talking about the four living creatures? No. All the four living creatures are doing is announcing. That's all. Separate those two. No, that's good. That's a good question. Separate those two. So is this the Antichrist making war on the world, or is it nation making war on nation that's kind of as a consequence of that, or...? How should we think about it? Uh, we are to think of it first, because this would just get more specific, but very broadly at first. And Antichrist is involved in this, uh, no, no question. Um, at the beginning of the seven years, at the beginning of what Jesus calls the tribulation, the upheaval in the world is going to be significant, and Antichrist is going to bring peace to that temporarily. Okay, but this is just the beginning. Things are really in upheaval, and what is going to follow is this rise of this one who's going to bring peace and stability for a short season. But it's the what G, uh, or uh, what the Book of Revelation is trying to do is what we see in some of these other passages, like in Jesus. When you start seeing these kinds of things, that's just the beginning. And you read in verse eight. These wars and all the accompanying disasters that go with is going to take what percentage of the population of planet Earth? One-fourth. That's an astonishing number. I mean, today the population of Earth is about 7.5 billion, something like that. I mean, when I do the math, that in itself is an astonishing figure. I mean, you, you just can hardly envision that kind of carnage. So... What, and again, what these seven, excuse me, these first four seals are doing is laying a very broad framework of what the beginning of this is going to look like. And it's pretty horrific. In addition, now verse 9 um, is something that Jesus had talked about. We read it very briefly in the Olivet Discourse. There is going to be a lot of persecution of those who remain loyal to God. And when he broke the fifth seal, I'm in verse 9, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. All right, what does that tell us? Persecution, martyrdom. You know what martyrdom is? You you know what that is? You're dying for your cause, dying for Christ. So you get the sense in verse 9 of a very significant number of people that are going to be killed in standing for Christ. We'll read later on. You read about it in some of these Old Testament. That's one of the things Antichrist will do. And in verse 10, and they cry out with a loud voice, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each one of them a white robe, and they were told they should rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, should complete complete it also. What's that saying? I will avenge. I will take care of this. But wait. There's still a lot more that have to be martyred. Yes, Will there be a kinship of those who are uh, the ungodly, the non-believers, with 
this antichrist when he makes his appearance. It would be sort of like uh, an identification with him by reason of their own sinful lives and their own rejection. Plus something else. We'll read about that in chapter 13. They will get a number. They'll get a mark. Those who are loyal to the beast get a mark or you know, a sign of their loyalty or their identity. Yeah, they, it's a, it's, it will become very, very clear. That is how you will have to live to survive. But that's coming up. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then the second question is, if, you know, we talk about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, Spirit must receive Christ. Um, for those who haven't received Christ, is there a spirit within them that lends itself to more of the evil side and acceptance of those who engage in those uh, things that are overtly sinful uh, in practice in life. In other words, hey, let's booze it up, let's get some gals, let's, you know, do, yeah, I can do yeah, I can see that, you know, I mean, it seems like, um, you know, early on, <coughs> Men are becoming boys are becoming men. Uh, they tend to a lot without Christ. Tend to identify with that. And it's mm-hmm. almost a camaraderie. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that is that something that you feel that will exist during this time. Is pervasive with humanity on earth of those who reject God. Reject yeah, God. I think so. We're, we're going to read a little bit of some of that coming up. That camaraderie of evil is going to be apparently very, very deep-seated. It's, it's, it's almost unimaginable, but I think that's true, yes. Just as there is a camaraderie with those who stand for Christ, and there are, are, many of them are martyred. Yeah. All right, we have one more seal, and then we have a little bitty, a bit of a bunny trail, which is chapter 7. Verse 12 through 17, it's a little bit of a long section, but it is the cosmic disturbances that are associated with this tribulation, with what the Old Testament calls the day of the Lord. And I looked, and when, they broke the, when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black. Now, these are all similes, as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood. Again, they're similes. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as, again, similarly, a fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. And the sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island removed out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the commanders, and the rich, and the strong, and every slave and free man. Now that's pretty much everybody. Hid themselves in the caves and cried out in repentance to the Lord. It doesn't say that, does it? And among the rocks of the mountains, and they said, Fall on us, hide us from the presence of him who sits in the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who? is able to stand. Fate, fear, terror, but not what? Repentance. Fear, terror, hiding, running to escape, but not repentance. So what you have in summary here at the end of this chapter, that is chapter 6, is a summary of the cosmic disturbances. And they're all similes. So it's as, as, like, like, that kind of thing. So that, you know, I think you understand what a simile is. So he's, John's trying to describe, using figurative language, what he's seeing in this vision. But it's, it's an upheaval in the heavens that has, there's never anything like it. There are always these kinds of things. You've, have you started earthquakes? Yes. Have there been days like today when the sun is so dark you can't even see it, when it's almost like the night, and you know, the blood moon stuff, you know, all that. But what, what he's saying is this is going to be overwhelming, and it's going to become so evident that this is God's judgment. And the response, verse 15 and 16, is terror, but not repentance. 
So what Jesus, and we read about some of that in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, what Jesus talked about is now being further elaborated upon here. Boy, now your thoughts are off of Revelation and on to the rain. <laughs> so um, let me see. We're so into the album. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Day of the Lord out there. <laughs> so anyway. But um, what the first seals, the first six seals, because the seventh seal, you're going to have to wait for a chapter. Seventh, seventh seal actually opens the seventh trumpet judgment, as you'll see. We'll get to that later. But um, what you see here in a bang, bang, quick, rapid-fire sequence is a summary of what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 24. And what was the language Jesus used? It's just the beginning of the birth pangs. It's just the beginning. All right, let me um, see if you have questions or comments before we move on. I have just a strange question about the imagery he uses. This yeah. term is used so often in the Bible, and I'm wondering if there's significance here or if you can explain. What is sackcloth? It says the sun uh, you know, black as sackcloth. Sackcloth was a, um, it was just that sacks that you said together, but it was, a, it was always, a mo- well, I shouldn't say always, almost always in the ancient world, a sign of mourning. So if, if, uh, something terrible happens or you lose loved ones or a disaster occurs and wipes everything out, what often they would do is in, in a fast and mourning mode put on sackcloth. And it, it, was a, it, was, it was a very dark, deep, grayish kind of color. Does that answer your question? Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's what it's. And in the first century, to speak of it, it's as dark or as black as that. Oh, yeah, I got that. I see that. You know, I see people... Okay, I understand. That's horrible. That's going to be awful. In a way, it's a little bit like today, except worse. You know, I mean, it's it's it's, it's really really dark. Somewhere I got the impression that sackcloth was kind of like burlap. Well, it is. Rough. It's like sacks. It's the yeah, sacks exactly. that the grain were held yeah. in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. That's right. This must be a very terrifying time. I mean, we wars and famine and. All that are bad enough, but you can almost always count on the sun coming up and the stars mm-hmm. being in the sky. And mm-hmm. when all of that starts to be disrupted, to stars are falling. And and that. and add to it what you see in verse fourteen: the topography of planet Earth is going to be changed. Yeah. See that islands and mountains. The topography of the Earth Earth is going to be changed. Now, presumably, that relates to verse twelve, the earthquake. But listen. What God is doing, and this is why, um, I shouldn't say why, this is how we should understand this. God, after thousands of years of patience, if I can put it that way, thousands of years of giving people opportunities to respond to his grace, he, only he knows when this is, but he draws the line in the sand and says, it is now time to call this rebellious planet to account. And that's why the word is used in verse 16, wrath. Paul talks about the wrath of God in 2 Thessalonians 2. And he's answering their question about the day of the Lord. He, he said, what you are seeing in Thessalonica is not the wrath of the Lord. So, I mean, this is, that's why this is, and Jim's right, the language, it betrays us to try to describe what this is going to be like. Yeah, so horrific and so terrifying, so ugly and so disruptive. There will be very little comfort anywhere. There will be very few refugees, re, uh, places of refuge anywhere. Uh, it, and that's why, as you see in verse 15, there are no... No one in the socioeconomic scale is going to be immune to this. Everyone is going to be affected by this. And that's why, and Daryl brought this up a while back, but if you believe in a rapture that's pre-tribulational before this unfolds, the church won't be here. <laughs> we will not be going through this, which I, it's my conviction, but not everybody looks at it that way. So the, the, the beginning, we're now at, 
what did Churchill say? This may not be the end, but it's the beginning, or it's the end of the beginning. I guess that's the way he said it. And in a way, that's what that's what the first six seals. It's the end of the beginning. We're not even at the middle yet. We're just at the beginning. Will, will these events uh, cause any bit of humanity to come to Christ? I believe so. I believe so. Uh, you started to see it, uh, Fred, in verse 9 and verse 10. These are people who have been martyred for their faith. And if the rapture has occurred before the tribulation, these are people that have come to faith during the tribulation. That's why chapter 7 is here. Who is representing Jesus Christ during these years? And that's what chapter 7 begins to answer for us. All right, well, let's start. We won't get this finished by any stretch, but let's get uh, started on chapter 7. If you're following now your little chart that I gave you, this is the first of of these, there are a total of five, but the first of these little parentheses. And this is the one about the 144,000. This is really an important chapter. It's, it's not very long, but this is really an important chapter because it answers the question, oh my goodness, this is so horrible. Is there no opportunity for people to still respond to God's grace? Answer, yes, there is. Well, then who will be championing the gospel message? Answer, 144,000. So this describes to us who these people are. It doesn't tell us a great deal about them. We'll see them again in Revelation chapter 14. But here we are, start to be introduced. Let's get started with it. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth. Now, in, in your notes, I tried to comment a little bit about that. The picture here is that God is restraining additional judgment for a season. And that's, that, that is, that's in the Old Testament, the four corners of the earth. You see that all over the place. That doesn't mean literally four corners of the earth. The earth is round. But it's a descript. God is holding it back for a season so that no wind will blow on the earth, nor the sea or the tree. The judgment is temporarily held back for a minute. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, meaning from the east, having the seal of the living God, And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom he was granted to harm the earth and the sea. Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. Now the word seal, and I comment on this in your notes, the word seal is a wonderful word, it's a precious word. It's a sign of ownership, a sign of security, and and a, a, a sign of inviolability. It's, it's, these people are going to be protected supernaturally by God for a season. So they're not among the martyrs. Pardon me? They're not among, they're the, not among the martyrs. What verse, I don't know if I'm going to read all of this because of all the different tribes, but I heard, verse 4, the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. So who are they ethnically? They're Jews. Jews. That's very specific. They're Jews. John. And and, and do they believe in Christ? Yes. That's correct. They put their faith in Christ, Jesus as the Messiah. That's right. But if that's it, then what about all the rest of... That's coming. That's coming. (laughs) They they do come. Uh, Those are a lot. Now, again, I don't know if I'm going to read all of this. Verse 5, 6, 7, and 8, it itemizes all of the 12 tribes. You know, just names from Judah, from Reuben, from Gad, it's just 12,000. So 12,000 from each, and 12,000 from each one times how many are there? 12 equals 144,000. So what this is telling us, what this is telling us is the witness of God maybe I should say, one of the witnesses of God during this period is going to be this group of 144,000 Jews, sealed. That's really important. Sealed. They will not be able to be harmed. We're going to read in chapter 14, they will not be hurt. They are not part of the martyrs. They will be um, 
well, maybe the best word, they will be supernatural representatives of the living God during this time. And then verse, and I think we'll stop there, because I'll not get this finished. I don't I really want to start. Verse 9 tell, for, through 16 tells us of the results of their work. And verse 9 through the end of the chapter are those who come to faith, many of them then who are martyred because of the work of the 144,000. Because of the work of the 144,000. <laughs> yes, I, I remember singing a song like this in the Missions Fest. Okay. The, uh, when they, they sing this, you know, the tribe, every, every. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think I, I know that song. Yeah, I've heard yeah. that before in other places. Yes, I know what that is. So let's, let's, I want to pray and we'll bring this to conclusion, but let's summarize what we've done so far. We've, we've taken a look at this concept, the day of the Lord and that the language of the sealed judgments that we've just finished uh, looking at is the language that you see throughout the Old Testament, the language of judgment. And God is pouring out his judgment now on the rebellious planet. (coughs) After thousands of years of gracious patience, now it's over. And the seals begin to unravel, is that the right word? The nature of this judgment is going to be quite horrific. But the agents of this evil are Antichrist and his minions and all of those who serve him. But God will have, still have his representatives during this period, and we've begun to see who they are. It's 144,000. So are you with me? So next week I want to finish chapter 7, which there's quite a bit I want to say about that. It's quite magnificent. And then we'll go to chapter 8, where you see the seventh seal is broken, and the seventh seal opens the seven trumpets. That's the right way. We'll get into that next week. All right? And things just intensify. They don't get better. They get worse. (laughs) But that's the nature of it. So don't lose your handout for today and all the other things I've said. Lord, we're thankful for this day. We also thank you for the privilege, even in a rainstorm like this, to study the Word of God. And we're reminded that you are a God of incredible power, but also incredible grace. Because even as we read, you, there was an opportunity for people to repent. They're hiding in fear, but they don't repent. Lord, we just pray that in each one of our hearts and each one of our lives, we want to be good representatives of you while there's still time. We want others to hear about the Savior, respond in faith, because those days are numbered. There's coming a time when you're going to begin what the Lord Jesus called that time of tribulation. Lord, I believe, uh, thankfully, that the scriptures teach we, if we've placed our faith in Christ or in the church, we're not going to be here. We're not going to be a part of this. That's something for which to be thankful. But nonetheless, help us as we study uh, and go through this in detail. Help me to make it as clear as I possibly can. And we apply, among the many other things to our lives, that you are a God in the midst of judgment, a God who still offers opportunities for gracious repentance. Thank you that we've made that decision to follow you. Encourage and enable and edify us as we represent you. May we do it well in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Lord willing, we'll see you next week. Thank you.